Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the show. This is uh, the Late Late Show uh, with my special guest, Amy Harris, who's a full-time teacher and secondary subject leader for psychology in Buckinghamshire. Among other things, we'll be talking about effective strategies for marking and feedback that don't cost you hours in additional workload. So welcome, Amy. Um, Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, So I've been teaching for 11 years now. still love the job (laughs) still look forward to coming into school every day Um, and yeah I have an absolute love for psychology I love passing on that knowledge to students who find it quite interesting and understanding the mind and understanding people in general so I love passing that knowledge on Um, and then yeah I don't really know what else to say really like apart from a bit about myself like that's not non-teacher wise but Yes, it would be lovely to hear a bit more about uh, what what brought you into teaching in the first place, Amy. What was uh, it that made you think that's the profession for you? Um, when I was at school, the teachers definitely got me out of um, a difficult part of my life. Um, and they were my sort of like safe base and my haven when things weren't so good at home. So mm-hmm. um, I really respecting had a lot of admiration for them and I wanted to have that experience myself and 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 sort of reflect on how I could be what they were to me for like students of the future and yeah and so I've just always loved the school environment and I just didn't want to leave so I thought I'd make a career out of it. Did you um, go straight into teaching from university Amy or did you take any sort of um other career path before that I did I went straight in so uh-huh. I literally got my psychology degree and then I went to Plymouth to do my um, teach training where I trained um, in psychology and health and social care mm-hmm. and then yeah and pretty much got a job whilst I was doing my teacher training sort of the end of it and then went straight in in September so yeah it's it's been straight through <laughs> No, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Um, just to our listeners, just to remind you, you're listening to The Late Late Show with Catherine Taylor. I'm speaking to you live from Buckinghamshire in the UK. I'm talking to Amy Harris about her teaching career and her thoughts on marking and feedback. Um, this is a, a, a live show. You're welcome if you're listening to, to uh, text in or put a message in the chat or call in a bit later if you'd like. We'd be really interested to hear from you and have you join in, in the conversation. Um, One of the things I'm going to be talking to Amy about today, amongst other things, are your experiences of effective marking and feedback. Um, So, Amy, I wonder if you could uh, talk to me about, uh, well, I guess the root of all of these conversations is is workload. What do you um, what do you think about how what's your responsibility in terms of the marking and feedback, but balancing that with workload? I wonder what your what your perspective is. Yeah, so I'd say my marking has changed a lot over the years in terms of I've tried to reduce it as much as possible. Um, This all kind of arose um, when I started my career um, in my new school. um, And I had myself, another member of staff, and we had quite 
a large cohort. Um, so we have around, well, when I first got there, it was about 120 students across year 12 or 13. And then they shot up to 152, um, which, you know, was another class within the classes we'd already had. And I was kind of thrown into, okay, well, how am I going to make marking work? Because I'm just going to have to adjust because it's just going to be so overwhelming. And although there are some pinch points in the year with the marking loads, um, that definitely, that situation definitely sort of threw me into, okay, I really need to rethink this and, and try and think of other strategies to um, reduce the marking loads because two members of staff and 150 kids, mm -hmm. even one assessment is painful. <laughs> so, um, How long would you say yeah. it takes you to mark one assessment? If you're going to mark it, you know, so that it's really thorough, um, you know, doing the best of the best, what's the time, um, the time that you would spend on that, would you say? Well, if you're looking at summative assessments um, of, you know, two hour papers, that probably takes 45 minutes to an hour per paper. So that in the worst case scenario. Um, but yeah, I definitely avoid doing that, that as, yes, you know, yeah. as much as possible. Um, you're talking about 150 hours there, aren't we? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, split, yeah. split across two members of staff. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah. halving that. But still, it's a significant amount of time. Um, and I did find myself having to sort of go to senior leadership team and ask for more time because it was just too much all at once. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely some rethinking and some reworking was an absolute must. Um, so I kind of moved into sort of like formative assessments, um, you know, just basically doing every single lesson at the start at the end even during the lesson mm -hmm. um whiteboards just became an absolute must um yeah, yeah the students in my classes now it's just an automatic thing they will walk into the lesson and they will grab a whiteboard a pen and a rubber it's just such a typical thing um mm. and that's taken time to sort of like build it into habit but it's just such an effective tool where you can be asking very basic straightforward questions um and they can work you know write down a sentence they can write down a couple of words um and straight away all the whiteboards go up it's just absolute silence once you've asked the question so mm -hmm. you know whiteboards go up and then you can really pick up oh why did you say that and why did you say this instead of this like what was your thought process for the students who are getting it wrong and you mm -hmm. can like really pick apart and i think that was quite like it was a bit challenging at the start because some of the students felt uncomfortable if you were sort of questioning them further because they know they've got it wrong but yeah. over time it definitely built up a positive environment and actually there's value in it and they actually like the fact that I think they feel more comfortable making mistakes on a whiteboard because they yeah. know they can rub it off and yeah. it's not like permanent so I feel over time there's been a real positive um atmosphere that's been created a real positive approach to actually it's okay to make mistakes because i'm going to learn mm. from this um so that was really really helpful and 
I'm going to so, continue to do that. Mm, definitely. No, no, that's that's really brilliant. There's a couple of things I want to sort of pull out from that from that conversation, which is a really great example that you've given where you use the mini whiteboards. But there's a couple of things I wonder. Um, you know, when you came into the department, where they were, you know, investing such a lot of time in the written summative assessment feedback. Yeah. When you did go to see your senior leadership and explain the situation, how receptive did you find them and, and your line manager at the time? Um, they were very receptive. Um, I, when I first started there, there was a very sort of um, prescriptive, this is this is the marking policy sort of thing and you mm. have to mark at this sort of time. But very quickly, I found the, the school moved away from that because... I think a lot, it just didn't work. Like you just couldn't put a one fits all approach across the whole school. And mm. I think they realized that. I mean, for me, it, it, I mean, I don't know how they, they clearly had been doing what went well and even better ifs for quite some time before I got there. But yeah, for me, that yeah. just didn't work. Um, and yeah, it didn't work in our department. And yeah, the, again, with the marking load, I just felt like I was never going to be able to achieve that summative assessment goal of yeah. marking so many times on every half term or something or every term or that kind of thing so actually when I went and sort of discussed some other strategies they were very receptive and they sort of said well at the end of the day if the students are learning and they're making progress and they're benefiting from the feedback that they're getting that's mm -hmm. that's the that's the important thing um you've just got to be very clear how you are doing this in your department so that we know what we're looking for when we come into your classroom and yeah, that yeah. was based that was essentially it so I thought that was really helpful and it took a lot of pressure off me and then I felt like actually I can run with this and I can do different things and adapt and change it as long as I keep them in the loop and say right this is what I'm doing now then yeah. it's fine so yeah that it was they were very so supportive so you'd say it's all about the consistency across the department and um, sort of your senior leaders and, and whoever understanding, you know, the, the process that you're going through. Um, I'm interested about, um, you know, obviously we're talking about saving workload, but I wonder if you could share any thoughts you have about the actual, um, you know, as a psychologist, the psychology teacher, what about the, you know, the cognitive science aspect of the formative assessment that you're doing? Um, so I think it's about training them very early on, because if you sort of set the premise that this is the way it's going to be, mm. then it just becomes quite normalized to them. And they actually think, no, I'm really benefiting from this. Like I felt when I first got into my new school, it was the teacher before me had marked a lot and that mm -hmm. almost kind of made them think well why are we not getting the same sort of treatment yeah. here and and, and I, there was this pressure for me to mark lots of essays and stuff like that and I just thought and I was kind of getting sucked into it a bit actually but then it just became far too stressful um and so as I said the main thing well that was a part of it but the other thing was when this cohort went up to 150 and that was just okay so it was kind of like slowly adapting from that but yeah yeah i now sort of even with essays now so one of my strategies um with my current cohort i sort of started this last year with my who are now my current year 13 so they've had a bit of this but year 12 i was able to 
start this strategy right at the beginning, which is basically self-assessment and peer assessment of essays. So the 16 mark questions are the ones that take the longest mark. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously there is definite benefit of me marking them, but there's also benefit them understanding how they can market and give themselves feedback mm. and that kind of thing. So what I did was I developed this marking grid. Yeah. And I incorporated within this marking grid, the language that I use in terms of exam structures that I am familiarizing them with. So for example, everyone probably knows AO1, AO2, AO3, that kind of thing. So AO1 is knowledge, AO2 application, AO3 is evaluation discussion. Um, and the main structure really comes from the AO3, which is the discussion points, mm -hmm. um, which we use something called PEAKS in psychology, which stands for point, evidence, explain, consequence, challenge. Um, and so I incorporate that sort of structure within this marking grid as well. And they have a column for AO1 and then the column for AO3. That's a typical sort of assessment for an essay. Six marks is knowledge. 10 marks is evaluation and then along the side as well there's the marks and the bands and then there's little descriptions of what the knowledge looks like what the evaluation looks like as well so would that and be then, an example of like a, a model um paragraph or or sort of what a good one looks like that sort of thing no so okay. i did try utilize that but i found that quite time consuming to adjust that for every single marking mm -hmm. grid so i actually came up with a generic marking grid um and then adapted and tweaked that so the first few times i used it like some of the students were like but i've done this or i've done two peaks but one of them is not very good and my knowledge was okay like but none of the grids like represent that so it was kind of like trial and error like i was had my colored pen every lesson when i was sort of like divide like put this grid out Mm -hmm. um so my current year 13 is really where my guinea pigs to be honest and then over to each class really because i have four classes by the end of the four classes i had so much feedback from them all that i was able to sort of adjust it and have quite a good marking grid just from the first time i'd done it yeah um and then yeah so just then it was just like a little tweak here and there and then what i do alongside that marking grid is that they have a, a model answer yes so they have one model answer, but then I also do, so in psychology, it'll be like one, four paragraphs is like a 16 mark essay. One will be for knowledge and the other three will be peaks, which are the A3 discussion points. And then what I will also do is I'll put on below it like additional peaks that I think they might have talked about. So they've got like a guidance of, okay, this is what a full essay looks like. And then if you talked about any other evaluation points, these are some good ones you could have mentioned and then they can mm -hmm. see what it looks like. Um, and then from there, they will sort of like circle where they are for the knowledge. And I always say, okay, read the knowledge model answer and then read your your student's model answer. It might be, it depends on what we're doing. The one you so do. I'm really training them to like mark an answer in a very structured and like reductionist way. They're sort of like looking at one paragraph and then going to the marking grid, looking mm -hmm. at another one. So it's not really how I would mark an essay, but that's not the point. It's just they can understand, OK, well, I've clearly not done something well in my discussion because I've looked at the model answer and I've looked at the grid and I can see that I'm not quite there. 
And mm -hmm. again, same with the AO1. So again, they can look at the model answer and sort of adjust it so they can see, okay, well, this is where I need to improve on. So they know the assessment objectives they need to improve on. And then after that, if it was a peer assessment, the books get returned. If it's self-assessment, then what they will do is they will look at that marking grid and then they will get a coloured pen and they will add in assessments. Or if they were missing like a whole peak, for example, they're missing the whole discussion point, I would ask them to like, okay, well, just bullet point summarise one of the model answer peaks that, that you think you'd like to utilise next time or you thought mm -hmm. you think that's something that you'd like to write about or something like that. And then I actually wanted to check whether they were like using these grids effectively. A couple of weeks ago, I set my current year 12s um, to mark one of their essays using the model answer, so on and so forth. And so whilst they, that I gave them 10 minutes to do that, then I went round and I checked their answer and I gave them a mark personally. And then whilst yeah. they were doing, whilst I was doing that, I'd set them another task to do some short answer questions. So they were getting on with something else. So I was actually using the lesson time to do the marking myself. And that's another key strategy that I use, that I've used quite a lot actually, mm. is that I get them doing something else. And whilst I'm going around and having a chat, giving some feedback to them verbally, writing a few comments sort of thing. And that works really well. Um, I don't know how well that would work in lower years, but it certainly works well in sixth form with the old yeah, year groups. Yeah. Um, yeah that's the that's the challenge isn't it it's about finding a, a, a strategy that works for your for your group yeah. and your subject and yeah. that's, that's really brilliant I wonder you talked a little bit another thing I wanted to just pick up on you talked about how there you felt the attitude and the resilience of the students had increased because of the um the, th the kind of strategies that you've been using and how yeah. they felt a lot more or you feel they feel a lot more able to kind of be relaxed about any factual or um, knowledge errors that they might make and how they don't they feel like it's a bit less permanent because of some of the strategies you're using yeah. um in terms <clears throat> of student resilience um what would you say has been the biggest benefit to the kind of strategies that you've been using i think I think it's a very effective feedback tool because I feel like they learn so much more from that activity than they would if I just put a number on their page. Um, they're engaging with the model answer. They're constantly looking at what a good answer looks like and then comparing mm -hmm. it to their own and then making adjustments based on that. And going back to what I said earlier, um, just to sort of prove that this was a good technique is that I went round the classroom and I checked their mark that they'd given mm. themselves and I would say 90% of them were in the correct band mm. so they they and actually they were more harsh they were like they gave themselves a few marks le less and I actually would have given them a couple more having marked yeah. it holistically and so actually that doesn't matter that they were a couple of marks off they were in the correct band so they knew exactly what skills they were showing and at what level and therefore what they needed to do to get a better mark because they can see the bands above it they can see the model answer and how it's better so yeah it definitely makes them more independent and i think it helps take the pressure off me because they're not mm. expecting me to mark things all the time because they're constantly getting feedback 
um, in the lesson. So that definitely helps as well. Like there's, I feel the culture in like our departments, in our sort of department in the classroom is definitely like, yeah, like I say, they feel comfortable making mistakes. And when we, when we swap, yeah. like sometimes I'll do like random sampling, I've got all their names in um, a, like a white envelope and I will literally just take up two names and they'll swap two books. So they'll, they're not only just swapping the person next to them, they're seeing someone else's yeah, answer yeah. in the class. And, and again, it's about really selling it to them and be like, you know, it's really good to see someone else's writing style and what sort of points they came up with, because you might think, oh, I really like that point. I'm going to talk about that next time because it's about learning from each other as well yeah, and supporting yeah. each other. So yeah, it definitely creates like a really lovely envi- like learning environment. Um, and do they ever? I always... Sorry, sorry. Do they? Do they ever? That's fine. Do they ever? Um, this is so difficult without eye contact, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> do they? Do they ever kind of uh, make any comparisons between um, their? I mean, presumably, if they're doing psychology, they're often also doing other humanities. Do they? Um, do they ever comment on sort of the kind of different feedback strategies that they're getting across the board at all um no i i can't really think of any conversation maybe they're being polite i don't know (laughs) but they've um they've not necessarily said oh we do this in a different subject i mean i know what they do in other subjects because Mm. i speak to the teachers but yeah so yeah, I mean, I think from what I've seen in other departments, there is a lot of work being handed in and it's fully teacher's mm. responsibility to market. And I just think it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've just, bec- it's become so normal now yeah, for me yeah. to, to think of strategies. Like even um, last week, I was having a conversation with my, my department, you know, a member of my department and she was saying, oh, I've just set this essay and I've also set the year 12s and the year 13s an essay at the same time. And I was like, well, OK, that's, let's get around this because you can't be marking that much all at once. So I mm. said, why don't you just sample five essays from each class and then do a bit of a feedback, like create your comments or your feedback bank from those samples you know try and get a mixture of like higher ability lower ability students within that sample and then give them some class feedback and use the the um marking grids you know and then that way you're understanding how much because she said i because my first question was to her actually was what do you want to get out of this essay like what do you want to get out of this assessment why do you want to mark them all and she said well i want to know if they've understood it and I want to know if they've used the structure correctly. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine. Then if you sample five from each class, then, and you give them whole class feedback, like you will, like you'll be able to go around the room and see what mark they've given them afterwards. And you will know from the comments that you've said from the sample, what the main areas you need to work on with them. So do that. let's have a go at that. And she was like, oh, okay, no, that sounds good. So. Yeah, I just feel like because <laughs> it's just something I'm always trying to to do is think, okay, how can we do less marking here? So because, be economical with it. 
Yeah, because the, what value are they going to get if my member of department sits down and marks absolutely every single one of them? I'm not saying they're not going to get any value of it, but I don't think they're going to get any less value than Dan, like my colleague doing what I've suggested. So she's going to save some time. She's going to understand where the key mistakes are and where the key areas of need are. And that's that's the important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I saw a really interesting um, webinar the other day and it, it had Dylan William being interviewed on it. And he was very much, and I believe his, you know, his sort of latest work talks all about this idea that we, we don't need to just keep adding in more and more strategies. What we need to be doing is really evaluating the strategies that we use so that we can kind of decide which ones to take out because it is kind of that cost benefit analysis, isn't it? We, we you know, all kinds of things that there is a benefit from doing none of the things that teachers are doing are are bad or wrong or, or anything like that in terms of the, the marking and feedback that's going on um if it's happening that's got to be a positive but maybe we need to be a, a bit more um rigorous in how we kind of work out what ones what strategies are the most mm. you know effective and then just stop doing the ones which are yeah you know, you've got to get the most bang for your buck haven't you i think especially when we're so time poor as as we all are yeah absolutely um and obviously it's there is a place for formative and summative assessment and mm -hmm. i also have tried to think of ways where we, we i can have more of a sort of serious I get a mark from them sort of test with literally zero marking, which is online quizzes. So I do that as well, but I do do a mixture of it. So I try and mix up where I'll have short answer questions um, that I'll do with students in timed conditions where they're writing the answers down. And then we'll just, we'll just mark it in class. Like I'll have a student friendly mark scheme. We'll go through it together. And then any questions where they're like, oh, I, I don't know whether I've got the mark for this. What would I get? Again, it's encouraging them to think about, OK, well, my answer's not on the mark scheme. What is it correct? So again, they're still thinking, OK, am I, you know, I'm learning from this and I'm developing from this and so on and so forth. And the, yeah, the online quizzes have been an absolute lifesaver as well. I was I was going to come on to those online quizzes. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, Amy, I'm just going to give the news another go and see if I can play it. And that will take, if it plays, a couple of, well, about seven minutes. And then we'll come back Lovely. to talk about the online stuff. And if, if it doesn't, we'll talk about it in about 30 seconds. <laughs> this is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio news ASCOL is due to ballot members for the first time in its history the four education unions will ballot over strike action this term and if backed by members would see action stretching into next year and could lead to full school closures the government continues to hold its position that the most recent pay offer is fair and reasonable and that next year school funding will be at its highest level in history. Schools Week covers the further implications of school funding issues in a story about the cuts some head teachers are making. In a survey conducted by the National Foundation for Education Research for the Sutton Trust, it was found that schools are cutting back on school trips, 
teaching assistants and IT equipment to help balance stretch budgets. Responses from 1,428 primary and secondary teachers show 50% of senior leaders said their school had cut back on trips and outings this year. Schools in the most disadvantaged areas were most likely to be impacted by cuts to trips. The research suggests that in secondary schools, leaders are also cutting back on subject choices at both GCSE and A-level. The Department for Education has estimated schools overall could afford £2.4 billion in new spending between 2022 and 2024 before facing net pressure on their budgets. But the Confederation of School Trusts warned its members could face a prolonged period of financial challenge due to pay rises and other increasing costs if more funding was not forthcoming. The Sutton Trusts poll also showed that some school leaders are using pupil premium funding to plug budget gaps. The report also underlines the issue of recruitment into the sector, with the NFER predicting that the DfE will again miss its recruitment into initial teacher training target this year. Meanwhile, the TES focused on a DfE funding rule change to help schools hit by falling pupil numbers due to a decline in birth rate. Schools that are not rated good or outstanding will be eligible for additional funding. Other changes will be introduced from 2024 to 25, and councils will set expectations around the minimum funding they must provide to support schools with significant increases in pupil numbers. Schools with more than one site will also receive extra funding where they need to duplicate services over multiple sites. Falling birth rates mean there are projected to be half a million fewer pupils in English state nurseries and primaries in 2028, compared with 2022. Nurseryworld.co.uk reports on the findings of its recent survey into staff well-being around Ofsted inspections. In the article on its website, it reports that over 3,000 owners, managers and staff responded to questions around mental health and well-being and the impact of inspections. Many responded that they felt increased stress and anxiety in the run-up to an inspection, with many having sleepless nights and some suffering from panic attacks and depression. The possibility of losing funding, should a setting be judged inadequate, was also mentioned. Full details of the survey can be found on the Nursery World website. The Guardian reports that a record figure of £4.8 billion interest has been added to student debt in Britain last year. The government has more than doubled the amount of money it makes from charging interest on student loans as graduates face borrowing costs of almost twice the rate set by the Bank of England. The Office for National Statistics said the accrued interest had doubled from £2.3 billion in the previous year. The forecast average debt among the cohort of students who started their course in 2021 and 22 is £45,800 when they complete their course. Finally, the Morning Star in Scotland reports that increased spending per school pupil is failing to deliver improved outcomes. Spending per pupil has risen to £8,500 in Scotland, compared with around £7,200 across England, Wales and Northern Ireland but attainment in Scotland is not on a similarly rising trajectory. Research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows that despite having the highest spending per pupil across the UK for a long period, test scores in reading, maths and science have either stayed the same or have been going down. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to attempt to explain in simple terms how the internet works. Let's take this tech briefing for example. I know every single one of you at some point have thought, how on earth can someone who makes a recording in one part of the world be broadcast globally to thousands of people and there'll be very few errors? I won't even go off when you go under a bridge. Although, I did give Tom Rogers a lift once and can tell you he's so radio he stopped talking when I drove through the Mersey Tunnel. For the internet to work, a way of allowing people to simultaneously use the same cables had to be created. The traditional phone call method could not be used because this would limit the number of users. If computers made a dedicated connection like a phone call does, then there'd be a lot of waiting going on. Imagine if you had to wait in line for a download. You are 457th in the queue. Your download is important to us. Please listen to this monotonous music while you wait. It simply wouldn't catch on. So what happens? Data is transmitted in a similar way to the postal system. Just a lot quicker. Right now, this podcast is arriving on your device in a series of packets. Packets are really small chunks of data that can be sent from device to device via routers. Without getting too geeky on you, the host server gets a request from you when you press play. The request says, start sending me the packets of the audio chocolate you know as Steve Woods' tech briefing. And like chocolate, it's split into chunks. These chunks are given an address to get to, an address of where they came from, some other information like the type of file being sent, so your device knows which applications you open it in, and a number so the packets can be ordered and rebuilt when they arrive. These packets are directed over the internet by routers that use the address information to direct them and then rebuilt by your device once they arrive. Because packets are so small and can be forwarded rapidly, lots of computers can send data at the same time and keep everybody connected. So next time you're using the internet, consider that what you're looking at has probably been split into thousands of packets routed across the world and being rebuilt in a matter of milliseconds for you to enjoy. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Amy, please do tell us, how, do you, how have you been using these uh, the technology and EdTech in your marketing and feedback strategy? Oh, so I have been through a lot of different softwares over the years. Um, for online quizzing and stuff like that. I can't even remember the first one that I ever used was called, but um, I'm now using Quizalyze, which I know Mm -hmm. is not necessarily like a well-known tool. I know a lot of people use other um, like Kahoot and Quizlet and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, so I've used Quizalyze um, and I've made quite a lot of quizzes on there. So I've been reluctant to move on to a different software Mm. just because it's taken me a long time to develop my quizzes and adjust them because there wasn't that much out there for psychology in terms of online assessment when I used these tools. Um, So where you'd have your core subjects, maths, English and science, they would have an abundance of quizzes already there ready to go and I didn't have that same um, benefit with the uh, my subject of psychology so I did find myself writing my own quizzes um, and so yeah um, I love this software that I use because it's changed quite a lot over time and they've sort of made improvements based on sort of feedback that I've given um, and I'm sure other teachers have given as well <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the thing I love about Quizalyze is that you can do, I'm sure lots of other softwares do this, but you can do lots of different types of questions. Um, 
I mainly go for the multiple choice questions because then it's guaranteed to mark itself. Yes. Um, and then I love about this tool is that you can reorder the questions as well. So the student sitting next to them, even if they looked over their shoulder, they're not going to get the same question. So they, that they can't cheat. Mm -hmm. um, and also what's really good about it is that you can export it. So you've got a nice Excel spreadsheet with all your results at the end of it. And probably the best thing I like about it is I say to the students, if you don't get 80% or more, so I do set a bit, obviously a bit of time for them to revise and prepare for this assessment. Um, and then there's actually a differentiated task that you can set for your students based on the score that they get. Oh, brilliant. So, for example, you could get them to, okay, read over this section of the um, psychology blog um and then reattempt the quiz or something like that you might get them to watch a video or something online which kind of goes over the topic that you've just done and then get them to redo the quiz afterwards um so yeah there's that's a really good tool which i really like and again it's kind of making them think well i know it's a multiple choice quiz but it doesn't just end there like if you haven't performed at the place that you need to be be prepared to work on that and reflect yeah. on it and that's almost in itself is like acting on the feedback because yeah. you know with with quizzes you kind of feel, oh well, that's your score the end but but I like the fact that you that you have much more with this kind of software where you can say okay well no this is not the end because actually you do need to know all of this stuff and if you don't you need to do something about that so yeah yeah, it's a really good tool and, I, and I've stuck with it and got my department on board with using yeah. it. Um, and I've kind of moved away from, I used to do it sort of like at the end of every topic, but I found that it became quite boring for the students to do it at the end of every topic. So they kind of fell out of love with using the quiz software. Yeah, so now yeah. I'm sort of thinking, actually, it's nice to kind of, I used it quite a lot at the start of the year just to kind of get them really into it. And now I just kind of bang them out every now and then just as a, okay, well, we're going to do some short answer questions and then we're going to do a quiz -alize, and you yeah. mix it up and then it, then they enjoy it a lot more. So, and they don't roll their eyes when they hear quiz -alize. <laughs> they're actually, <laughs> they actually appreciate it, doing it because, yeah. Getting a bit otherwise. of survey fatigue otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And so, you know, then, then they're like, actually, it's quite nice to have a break from doing written work and essays. Mm. So I kind of do that as well because then they look forward to the quiz because they've just done lots of other stuff. So, yeah, no, it's definitely a really good tool and I'd highly recommend it to any other teachers. And like you said, there's loads of stuff out there, but that's just one that people may not have heard of and might be interested in exploring. No, I, I really liked um, the way that you're kind of setting it up so that it has like a follow on task and that that's kind of um, AI kind of informed. So you would set the parameters and perhaps the content of the task, but the, the computer is sort of, you know, it's a bit of a if this, then that kind of logic scenario, yeah. isn't it? So, you know, when you're no, well, number one, a practical matter. I mean, do the students engage with that? Do they um, do they do those follow on tasks? Well, um, it's difficult to know whether they have, for example, I've set them to watch a video or something or read over the blog and make note, like have a little read over something and 
you know, cross check our misunderstandings or read over what the answers that you've got wrong and that kind of thing. I don't know if I've done that, but I do know if they've reattempted it. So mm. I suppose that's the key thing is that they, that's quite difficult to understand personally whether they've actually mm. done the reflective task. But I know that they've done like I always get them to redo the quiz. So that's the way I can check that they've actually engaged with it in some shape or form. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the only challenge there is that, you know, if they've made progress, possibly that's because they've just, I don't know, read over the answers and then gone back over it and redone the quiz. But even that in itself, they're going to have got something from that. So yeah, I just think yeah. if that's the minimum that they do then they're going to get something out of it in comparison to just doing the quiz and then getting your score and writing it down it so either way it has more value um than without the differentiated task so yeah um I don't know how they would I, I suppose there might be some I don't know they'd have to sort of update, update the software or something and even then they could probably just skip through the video couldn't they yeah. or fast forward yeah, through it. so it'd always be hard to track but yeah it's one of these things isn't it i mean I, I, we've got um you know a variety of different learning platforms in the in the marketplace and some of them are really very sophisticated in terms of the way that they can you know you can almost have a flow chart of scenarios and it it makes it quite a personalized learning journey for students and i think that's uh, quite an exciting area um in terms of mm. blended learning that that is going to be really interesting to see to see what happens um but before we stop talking about about ai we're talking about all of these wonderful things that sort of um asynchronous learning can be set up to do and all of the rest of it but do you what have you and i wonder what your thoughts are on sort of the the chat gtp have you found it creeping into students work have you found it helpful for your own work i wonder if you could share any reflections on that i mean i've not managed to get onto it successfully catherine if i'm honest i've tried (laughs) many times and either it doesn't recognize i'm a human or um every time i type in a question it just says sorry something's gone wrong so I have tried to engage with it as a resource Mm -hmm. and I've heard some really good feedback from other teachers. Um, So, yeah, I mean, coming back to doing the essay feedback as well, like I've got my marking grid ready to go, you know, typing in an essay question and having that write it out for you is just making that task or feedback Mm -hmm. so much quicker because now I'm not spending half an hour writing a model answer. So, yeah. You I mean, I, I have used it for that and it's it's quite extraordinary. I mean, I put in, for example, so I teach religious studies and I, I put in, um, you know, give, give me a model answer for OCR 15 marker with Christian references and Bible quotes on the topic of abortion. And out it comes and it's it's mm. never quite exactly what I want. You know, it's not I have to tailor it. So I, I but it does the donkey work. And I found that really useful in terms of, you know, I then can put in if it's a particular skill that I'm trying to get the students to practice, for example, um, sort of the the more evaluative comments, writing good conclusions, mm. you know, whatever it might be. Um 
then I, I can then really tailor it to reflect that skill but the actual bit where I have to go okay well what does the bible say about this you know that bit's done so yeah it's, it's I found it very useful do, do you um do you have any kind of issues with perhaps students using it is that reared its ugly head at all at school um I personally think it's a really valuable tool for them um but I do think as teachers we need to be extremely mindful now that formative assessment is so much um, like formative assessment in classrooms and summative assessments within lesson time is so important like more important more than ever now because you can set a bit of homework or you can set an essay and there's absolutely no guarantee that that's in that piece of work so I do think it is so important now for teachers to be hot on their formative assessment and their summative assessment um because yeah that otherwise we could be lulled into a false sense of security here that we think yeah. the students know um what's going on when they actually don't so you know someone might hand in a good essay but if you're constantly if you're constantly assessing them in less than time um and doing summative assessment in less than time you'll be able to pick up that straight away so yeah, I do think it's a really valuable tool and I do think it can really help them because, for example, if they had written out an essay or something and then they wanted to check what a good essay looks like, then they could do that and then they could make adjustments to their own essay based on what ChatGPT, you know, produces for them. So mm. I do think it could be a really valuable tool for them to utilize. Yeah. Um it's a temptation though, isn't it? So I think it's uh it's one of these things just to be keeping an eye on. I think yeah, you know, you know, I feel like what you're describing, although you do do some summative assessments and I imagine obviously in mock exam conditions and things like that, but it does I do feel like you're kind of going for quite a radical um formative assessment strategy where it's just so constant and everywhere that it's you know the the need for the summative assessment almost melts away oh absolutely I I, I don't I've never had a student moan at me for not marking I've, mm. again I don't know whether that's because they're being polite <laughs> but that, that's never come up in, in 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 terms of feedback from you know deep dives and from you know questionnaires out to parents and stuff like that that has never come up as an issue mm. in fact they praise the feedback that they get within the department so again it's like you almost are tricking them <laughs> into <laughs> thinking that they're constantly getting marked like their work marked because they are they absolutely yeah. are they're constantly getting feedback and they're constantly seeing where they are. I'm just not telling them that all the time. Because like, there's always that. Mark. Yeah, there's always that tension that you might write all of this feedback and they might not read it as well. So, you oh, know, yeah. I, I think it's, it's like we said, a, about really making sure that that is effective, not, not just that it's mm. happening, but that it's actually having an impact. Yeah. And, and so just, I mean, I'm going to, um, open the floor in a minute to see if uh, anybody wants to join in and have a have a chat and a comment on what we've been talking about but before I do Amy I wonder if you could just tell me a bit about um you know 
how has the impact been in terms of results? And, uh, you know, do you do you feel that you're seeing the benefits of these strategies in the actual, the, the ultimate summative tests, which is the exam, of course? Um, I think it's really hard to judge because I feel like um, last year and this year is the time that I've been really going overboard with the um formative assessment tools and obviously covid is a big hangover as well from last year's results so last year's results were incredible but i mm-hmm. don't want that to i don't want to lull myself into a false sense of security there but um yeah in terms of in the lesson i feel I'm constantly seeing that maybe like a handful of students haven't quite got it, but on the whole, mm-hmm. most of them are there and I can really see that. And even if it is just a couple, again, that's really valuable because then it may, means that I can sort of pick up on those things and sort of give them extra help and guidance. But yeah, I mean, I'd say the sort of the jury's out on that one <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. I'm, um, you need a longitudinal study. That's what I you need. do. I absolutely <laughs> do. And one that hasn't got COVID as a massive extraneous variable. So, yeah, um, yeah so it would be, yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's because I want it to be, <laughs> I, yeah. I want it to be effective. Um, and, but yeah, as I say, I think going back to what you were saying earlier about, um, how students like sometimes we can feel pressured that we need to mark all the time and Mm -hmm. I do feel that's been taken away from me and not only that like what you said about writing comments and you've written written all these comments all over someone's work and they might not read it I feel like when you get them to self-assess or peer assess and stuff like that you put the work onto them and so if as long as they're engaging with it they I don't know I just feel like they have to work for what they're getting and almost that's a really good attitude to set them up with because you know if you're marking something and giving it back to them it's just like well my 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 job here is done I've I've read the mark on the page it's done sort of thing whereas if you're making them work for it all the time then it's setting up that that attitude that actually if I want to make progress I am going to have to put my effort into it as well to get the most value out of this and I so, think it's that's going to set them up for their next steps as well, isn't it? Because you know that's that's like a absolutely. that's a that's a that's a habit. You know, the virtuous student. If I'm going to go all Aristotelian for a minute, you know, this idea yeah. that we are what we repeatedly do. If they've got used to working in that way, that's going to be mm. something they can take away with them, isn't it? Absolutely. But I will say this, you know, in terms of okay I don't necessarily know the benefit that it's going to have on the results this year because we're not quite there (laughs) with COVID but I would say it's had a huge positive impact on my department and my department's well-being in terms of workload um, and that is hugely important so um, yeah that would say that's a real benefit to it as well Um, and as I say, we've got very positive feedback from the students um, in deep dives and stuff like that. So yeah. they clearly, it's clearly something they're buying into. Um, 
yeah so no i think that it sounds absolutely great and um yeah no it's hopefully something that we can share with other people as well and uh you know push out throughout the school um I wonder if anybody has any comments on this. We've got, uh, I know Tom's in the in the studio and maybe he wants to, to phone in and, and contribute um, on this topic of marking and feedback. It'd be great to hear any comments um, that you might have. Okay, that's no worries at all. I just wonder if we can finish off then. I've got about uh, 11 minutes left, Amy, and I just wonder, um, you know, we've talked a lot about student learning, but perhaps uh, you can just share with me some of your thoughts on your own professional learning, because, um, you know, we're all human beings and we all learn. Um, and, you know, obviously, as teaching your subject of psychology, you probably have a, a good understanding of uh, how we learn and how we um you know how our learning affects our behavior and our practice i just wonder if you could tell me a little bit about any cpd experiences that you've had that you found particularly um useful in informing your practice yeah so i have had lots of useful cpd actually i do feel quite lucky um so i was involved in a coaching program and i'm still part of that coaching program and I've been doing that over, um, well, I think that I'm in the second round of it now, um, where essentially you're partnered up with a member of staff from a different department and you're, you're taught how to be a coach. And a coach is basically um, someone who essentially comes into your lessons um, and observes um, and you have agreed a key focus mm -hmm. um, um, in terms of what you want to sort of work on within your teaching strategies or stuff like something like that it could be SEN could be support sorry supporting students with SEN it could be formative assessment it could be questioning for example <coughs> um, and then it's a very sort of friendly conversation at the end of the observation and you it's really sort of um direct like there's no sort of you should do this you should do that kind of thing there's no sort of feedback in terms of um the person who's observing like telling you what they think should you should have done or shouldn't have done or that kind of thing mm -hmm. it's more you're trained as a coach to kind of question um your fellow teacher a way of sort of like drawing out them to, um, to be reflective of their own teaching practice and from those questions and that conversation um you sort of develop and understand a way to improve your teaching and yeah it was just, it was just really lovely i've i've been partnered up with a member of the PE department um i'm i now partner up with someone in the spanish department mm -hmm. so i'm 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 making contacts <laughs> that i would never have had the opportunity to have have had um through this program and i've learned a lot as well about my own teaching practice and, mm. and based on this as well and it's just a really nice open honest discussion that you just feel you there's no judgment you're just talking about your teaching and yeah it's, just, it's yeah it's just a really nice positive conversation to have rather than feeling like you're being judged um and so then that can make sometimes make you feel like you're hiding things about yeah, yourself yeah. and whereas this makes you feel like you can be really open and honest because the person 
across the room to is you know sat in front of you is not going to judge you because we're just a couple of teachers trying to be better teachers yeah. <laughs> and that that's it and it's as simple as that um but yeah that was really valuable and, and I definitely want to could be part of that in the future and yeah it's yeah I'd do, you, do you think recommend it no, that's brilliant do you, do you think that you learn more when you're the coach or when you're the coachee I wonder if you've got any thoughts on which part of the process um, you find the most formative I don't uh, I think you're just learning different things. I don't think you can say you're learning more in one one side or the other. Even as a coach, um, you are becoming a better department leader, for example, mm. um, because and a better teacher. And you're even from coaching, you're understanding how to be a better teacher because sometimes you can just sort of like have a chat with a student and like get them to be more reflective of their own behaviour. Um, mm and stuff like that or in your department having a conversation in the coach approach is you know you're going to get so much more out of them from rather than saying right okay we're going to change this within the department everyone needs to do this mm. and this is why you know you're able to have that conversation and be reflective together so yeah on, and then on the other side being the coached you're also understanding and someone's coming in and seeing things that you may not have recognized um and it's come out of a conversation you've had at the end of the lesson mm. observation so yeah I, I you're getting value from both sides and I think that's what's quite effective about it as well because you feel every step of your involvement you're getting something from it yeah. so yeah it's yeah you that keeps you invested in the whole process of that program which is which I found you know a real a real positive are, are, are there any um sort of teaching and learning strategies or any CPD that you've done you've read about you think you know I'd really like to try that is there any what's your kind of next next project or next thing you're you're looking to to experiment with or try out in your class um so we have been trialing a few rounds of g's and t's mm -hmm. for, which has been really good so, so g's, what yeah go for it tell me what you mean by that g stand for good things and t stand for targets so essentially when we're doing a large um summative assessment mm -hmm. um such as a two-hour paper or something like that me and my member of the department will come together and we'll sort of mark a few papers together and then we'll come up with some good things to say and some targets and then it's a kind of coded marking. So you'll have like G1 to G10, and then you might have T1 to T15, like I tend to find the targets are the ones that yeah. are the longer uh, side of things. And then you sort of highlight areas of the student's work and write a code next to it. And then it just means that the student's getting really valuable um, individualized feedback without you writing all over the page. And I found what was really valuable about this and I learned this from a CPD session, a sort of teaching and learning session at my school, um, is that it helped us to be very consistent in the department yeah. in terms of what we're saying to the students. Because I did find, although we might be fairly consistent with the great, like the marks we're given, the comments and the way we were writing them, com those comments were very different. And mm -hmm. so it meant that 
if I was given feedback and my member of department marked it and she'd written a comment and I was in the lesson, the student said, what do you mean by this? And I'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. I didn't write that. (laughs) Um, It would just be, and then I just thought, well, that was just a wasted opportunity for that student to learn something about their work. Um, Whereas now I know exactly what's going on because we've come up with the comments together. So it just means that the feedback process is far more effective we are consistent they feel like they're getting everyone feels like they're getting equal value from the feedback that they that they've received um and so yeah that was really helpful so we are planning on using that with our year 12s in their summer exams um and they've already had a couple of rounds of it and we've got really good feedback from that so yeah it's something that we haven't really done with the year 13 cohort but we've really been focusing on sort of seeing that through with the year 12 cohort um and again we're only going to use it for summative assessment so again it's about adjusting how you're giving that feedback for certain types of tests so yeah it's really helpful to kind of make it a bit more diverse but then not so diverse that the students are getting like 100 different types of feedback it's just okay when we do a test we're going to get g's and t's and when we do a 16 marker peer assessment, we're going to get this marking grid, you mm-hmm. know, and when we do a quiz allies, we're going to be expected to do a feedback task and reattempt the quiz. So it's kind of like three different. I think that's, that, that that routine is so important. Um, you know, I was again, I think it was on a Teachers Talk Radio podcast about a month ago or so. It was all about, you know, if you if you free up their cognitive load because they're in a routine of the kind of tasks mm. they've got to do, they're not having to think about the task. They can concentrate slowly and solely on the actual content. And I think that's that's really, really important. And I think, you know, like I was saying, this idea that if we can really identify which are the most high value tasks and then train the students to do those and how to engage in them and, and all of that kind of procedural stuff that really is, is sort of a, a recipe hopefully for success isn't it yeah absolutely no that's that's really great and i just want to say thank you amy because uh I, you know i've been having a bit of a technical nightmare this evening and you've been absolutely brilliant <laughs> for talking for easily um, about seven minutes longer than i thought you might have to so thank you very much um and uh it's been really brilliant so um just before you go i wonder if you could just um sort of tell me a little bit about you know 30 seconds what's your day looking like tomorrow so I've actually got quite a nice day tomorrow. Um, I've got three lessons, a couple with year 12, one with year 13. And um, during my lunchtime, myself and my member of department are writing a poem for oh. my um, year 13 students. It's a sort of tradition that started when I was an NQT and I didn't have any money and I wanted to do something nice for my um students who were leaving so i love writing poems so i wrote a verse for each student which was all well and good when not, i first not the co- not the year you had 150 in the, in well the yeah well yeah so that was 80 of them and so that was 80 verses last year so that nearly killed us but um we've got down we've got 16 <laughs> this year brilliant um, right. and i've also got danielle so that you know she's really Share on board the workload and, exactly so it's a lovely thing so we're going to be spending our lunch time doing that maybe period five during our free so 
yeah right. we've come to the end of our time amy thank you so much for joining us thank you to john cat who's our uh, sponsor for the show his educational um resource um books that are available and i'm going to close the show tonight hopefully with some music i hope to speak to you again soon thanks again amy You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.